The House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Oh, my. Okay, we are back. And uh, joining us now, as we said uh, before the break, we've got Randy Thomas. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on your show. Randy, um, this is quite a story. Now, the Pray Away uh, documentary has been out for a a few weeks now, I believe. Um, So first of all, before we we get really into that, um, how, how... did you get involved? Let's go through some of your timeline and, and how it started for you um, with that group. Okay. Um, well, I'll try to keep it abbreviated. <laughs> but I, uh, I, you know, basically I grew up in, a, in an abusive situation. Um, and when I was 19, I was thrown out of the house for being gay. And at that time in my life, I you know, I was out, but I was forced out of the closet, and I was homeless, and I really didn't have any adulting skills, so I went into a party scene that was really kind of dangerous and dark and all this kind of stuff, and so I went from one uh, bad environment to a different bad environment, but it felt better because there was drugs involved. So I was out in the 80s, but I was not a healthy person. Um, I eventually moved to Dallas for a change of scenery, and while there, I hit bottom on drugs and alcohol, and I joined a 12-step program that I'm not a part of today, but I do love that program uh, for that point in my life. And while there, I became a Christian, and I do believe it was a genuine conversion. I still consider myself a Christian today, but at that time, leading up to my my conversion, I just really didn't have any healthy relationships or even, I didn't even know how to balance a checkbook. So I had to learn how to be an adult quite late, quite later than you should. And right at that same time, at that vulnerable point, uh, I got, a, I got, became a Christian and I got exposed to this particular group that happened to be an Exodus group. And uh, and that's one of the ways that conversion therapy groups and ex-gay groups uh, lure lure people in. They they are attractive to vulnerable pe- vulnerable people like I was, because I was desperate for answers that I didn't know know how to go get on my own. If that makes sense. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Well, so at that time, how were you feeling about yourself, or how you know being gay? that part of you? Um, was that something that you didn't want to be or you thought was maybe wrong? I knew that something was really screwed up in my life because I had made a ton of bad decisions after coming out of being thrown out of the house. And I was just looking for answers about why my life sucked so much. And I was suicidal and um, it was just a terrible point. And being gay... Uh, you know, my experience in the party scene, it was really easy to scapegoat all the bad experiences that I had gone through in life um, on being gay. And that's what that group taught me is that, you know, instead of just being a, a codependent person, which I was, I was codependent because I was gay, which is a lie. 
Yes, I was codependent, but not because I was gay, but because I was human. And human are are vulnerable to dysfunctional relational approaches, you know. And but they attributed everything to everything bad to being gay. And if I worked on all these peripheral issues, it would help me to be less gay. And so I had a ton of issues to work through <laughs> that were legitimate, but none of them had to do with the fact that I was being gay. But that was what I was taught. And because I had had bad experiences, desperate for answers, um, I just learned to scapegoat being gay. So I didn't go into it feeling too terribly upset about being gay. But then after being in that group for a while, oh, the magical answer is this is all happening because I am gay, which was a lie. So, so at that time, um, you thought if you could so cure being gay or stop being gay, so to speak, um, that you would become healthier, have a better life then. Right. And add on top of that the religious uh, manipulation of, you know, this is what God wants you to do. Um, This is what God wants for you. And in order for you to be a happy, healthy, whole man of faith, you have to pursue your quote-unquote heterosexual potential, or live a life of celibacy. Now, you moved up pretty high in the group. Weren't you like a, a vice president or some something um, in that group as well? I did end up becoming the executive vice president of Exodus, when, and that's the position I held when we shut it down in 2013. How's your feeling about the group now when you look back at it? Uh, when you look back at uh, the whole whole time you were with them and uh, up until it was shut down, um, what's your thoughts on it? I, I completely regret any moment that I spent within those groups and, and at Exodus. I do feel like it's a cult um, that lures vulnerable and hurting people like I was. And uh, I, I don't have any high esteem for any part of that 22 years that I was involved in it. Uh, are you now, in the communications you're doing now, like including this interview and the documentary, are you sort of, is the mindset that it's a, a counter movement? Like, in other words, you want to now disseminate the message that it is a cult and sort of undo the propaganda that's been out there? That's part of it. You know, I know a lot of people aren't really interested in my need to make personal amends. Um, but I feel like if I was going to be, because I was pretty out there publicly with my opinions before, I think it's only the right and responsible thing to get out there and say how my posi- my opinions and positions have changed, um, because I, I just don't think it would be right to just slink off into the woodwork, you know, and not say this was hurtful, harmful, and dangerous and deadly, Um thing that I was involved in. I mean, this ideology killed one of my friends, and that's what ripped my blinders off. So to honor his life and his legacy, I have to tell the truth. And if I was going to be public about it before, I really feel like I should be public about it now. And needless to say, in the meantime, there are still other organizations active that do what Exodus did, right? So there's the uh, there's the, you know, the uh, narrative in terms of opening people's eyes to what they're up to, correct? Exactly. Um, in the movie Pray Away, 
Michael Bussey mentions that wherever homophobia and transphobia exists, this type of conversion therapy um, will manifest in some particular way. And people uh, tend to think, and it's, it's wishful thinking, and I love the thinking of, you know, the ex-gay or conversion therapy movement died when we closed down Exodus. That's what we had hoped, but it didn't. It just redeveloped into different networks, different online um, efforts, and we always say when one Exodus leader, quote-unquote, goes back, there are three to take their place, and that's just true for the movement as a whole. So it's more an ideology in a sense than a uh, given organization. It's just the, uh, the set of ideas that pro- pro- proliferates. Correct. Yeah, it's, it's a stigmatizing ideology that's wrapped and under, undergirded, if that's the right word, with toxic theology. I'm curious also, like, in terms of the conversion itself, quote-unquote, uh, it's one thing to try and repress or suppress being gay, which, you know, which is, of course, as we know, unthinkable and, and, and wrong. But it's also like there, it would seem like parallel to that, there's an inducing of trying to make you straight or attracted to women. And I'm really curious, like, what happens on that end of it? Like, like they, they try and convince you to be attracted to people you're not? Like, well, how does that go? Well, it's, uh, it's very convoluted and hard to explain because it doesn't happen. <laughs> and, right, and right. It's, uh, but basically, you know, if I hear the word heterosexual potential ever again, if I never hear that word again, I yeah. would be glad to never hear that word again. But basically, there's this idea that as long as you're dealing with your the peripheral issues, you'll be you'll have less reason to turn to homosexuality, um, because homosexuality was considered a sin, but it was also considered, quote unquote, a reparative drive that we would that people turn to homosexuality to numb the pain of former wounds, uh, to indulge in sex addiction and all of these types of things that it's not, but it was considered. When people would turn to that or give in to temptation, uh, if you can follow my lingo, lingo there, it's because they're trying to uh, address an, a legitimate issue in an illegitimate way. And if you start dealing with the legitimate issues in your life, you won't have to turn to that anymore, and you can start to realize God's creative intent, uh, quote-unquote, with heterosexual relationships. And, um, you know, and over the course of time, I, I did realize that I had a smidge of bisexuality in me. I can look back on it now and say, well, yeah, I was, I was attracted to Bo and Luke Duke of the Dukes of Hazard, but I was also attracted to Janet Jackson, you know. And, mm-hmm. and so I look back on it now, and I know that I have a smidgen of bisexuality. But when I realized that during the program, uh, or while I was in that world, I thought that that was change. Um, and right, that's right. another way that that cult also is it erases bisexual people. It, it thinks it's converting people when, in fact, it, it's probably ensnaring a lot of bi people. Right. It's interesting. A lot of this also goes to labels and terms because I'm, I'm straight, but at, at the margins, I am attracted to men a certain amount of the time, although it's a minority of the time, which which sort of begs the question of how bi any of us are. Right. 
and then it's like it becomes uh, very steeped in semantics. But if the bottom line is is your uh, centrifugal attraction is to other men, that's simply who you are. I mean, and that's you know, it's yeah, it is. I can see how it's how they, in a poisonous way, sort of uh, manipulate that slippery slope. Absolutely, absolutely. And I kind of the way I explain it now is. Yes, I was attracted to Janet. If Halle Berry were to show up at the door and say, hey, let's go for drinks, I'm going. You know, <laughs> I'm engaged. <laughs> I'm engaged, but my fiancé, Dan, knows I'm going. But what <laughs> I have with Dan, just from my makeup, can never be competed with or compared to, you know, the, the, the sexual attraction that I have towards some women. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I totally agree. Uh, can you give us a sense, and Al and I were talking about this before we got out, like how long were you in Exodus and how long has it been since you've been out? I was involved in Exodus uh, for 22 years and I've been, oh, wow. and I came back out in January of 2015, January 12th. Okay, got it. Um, but that, was, uh, that wasn't right after we shut down Exodus. We shut down Exodus in 2013, in June of 2013. What did you do those two years from 13 to 15? Were you still kind of, mindset was still kind of in, in the way of, of the pray away, of the exodus, or no? Well, it's, it's interesting because my beliefs had been challenged for several years before we closed down exodus. So I was already deconstructing a lot of things. Um, a lot of the pedestals that I had built up for um, former or former friends of mine, they started crashing long before we um, we actually closed Exodus. However, you know, once we shut down Exodus, once I um, did not have to herd cats all over the country with regard to Exodus leadership and and uh, donors and supporters, I mean, it went from a, a blizzard of noise to nothing like that. And at first it was very welcome, but then I had no idea who I was because my entire identity and what I felt I was called to do was just destroyed. It was just shut down. And so I, for the second time in my life, I was truly suicidal. But I reached out to some LGBT, LGBTQ plus people who were actually frenemies or or nice people to me back when we would when I was a part of Exodus and I just started asking inappropriate probing um, deep questions and they were very kind and gracious to me um, in engaging me in conversation and over time over those that time between closing down Exodus and coming back out um, what I really did was a moral inventory I say that a lot but I I looked back at my life and I reclaimed what was good and what was personal growth, true, genuine growth, and incorporated that, integrated that into my current identity then. And through a long, dark night of the soul and prayer and crying out to God and all that kind of stuff, I, I realized that I could be a happy, healthy, whole gay person. And every person that I was... Um, kindly interrogating at that time who was so gracious um they proved it you know they proved what grace and forgiveness looked like because they could have slammed the door in my face 
They had every right to. I had said some terrible things publicly, but they didn't. And they showed Christ to me in a way that I had never seen actually in the church. And I'm not making that up. I'm not trying to be overly dramatic. They really were Christ to me in a way that I had not experienced before. And so then I knew that um, where the, you know, this is going to be some Christianese, but where the fruit of the Spirit is, their God is also. And all I got from these LGBTQ plus people who had every reason to not like me was love, grace, kindness, patience, perseverance, all of that. And so that helped me feel more solid about who I was as a gay man. And that's why I came out on January 12th of 2015. Thanks. Interesting, because all of the above adjectives you listed or things you listed in terms of uh, grace and forgiveness and love and peace and kindness, um, these are, of course, things that exist on the gr- in the ground level, real world context. But on social media, they're completely out of fashion. Right. So I can only imagine that in another frame, you've probably been lambasted, dogpiled, dragged, criticized. Am I, am I uh, correct? I, know, I didn't look, but am I accurate on that? You are. <laughs> and, and, and it's when I came out and also when the, the Prey Ray film launched on August 3rd, I get a combination of, you know, 85, 90%, nothing but positive, kind, nice, um, but then I also get a lot of um, hate messages and emails and things like that. And when it comes from the gay community, from people who have been hurt by conversion therapy or um, just absolutely can't hate me, that I actually understand that. That doesn't bother me. I'm glad that they're reaching out and getting all of that out of their system. I, I hope it helps them in some sort of way. I understand it. You know, um, there are people who won't forgive me. And I look at some of the things I did in the past, and it was very hard to forgive myself for it. So how can I blame them for not for having that sentiment? Um, But the religious folks are what get me the most, especially former friends who should know better by now. I was an upper echelon leader. They all deferred to me. They all invited me to speak at, at different conferences. And as long as I was helping them find a stage to get on or promoting their resources, I was a golden boy. I was God's chosen person to be on the staff at Exodus. But the moment we started questioning all of that, uh, they took off. They're just gone and saying really kind of horrible things. So my difficulty comes from my former friends who should know better by now, but acting like they don't. How, how do you feel about the Pray Away uh, documentary? Uh, what do you think about it now that when you watch it? I, You know, I was a part of the, the project right at the beginning. I think I was like the first or second phone call that Christine Stalakis, the director, made. And I, I think it's perfect as far as a documentary goes. And I don't use that word lightly. I, I love how she allowed us to say our own story. She didn't narrate it. She didn't impose what we had to say. She just knew how to ask questions. And I love that every person, including the the current ex-gay leader, she allowed us to speak for ourselves. And the story tells itself. It's like the film has its own voice. And she didn't impose her own on it which a lot of documentarians do, and sometimes it works. But in this particular situation, I absolutely love 
that she allowed us all to to speak with our own voice. And I think it adequately exposes that conversion therapy is still happening today, um, that it's deadly, dangerous, and destructive, and it's just a, a powerful film. And I'm so glad that Ryan Murphy and Netflix picked it up and I believe it's saving lives every single day. You know, it's interesting. Um, what what is it you hope people uh, take away when they watch watch the film? There's so much. Uh, you know, first and foremost, it's for that vulnerable person, that person who is considering going into a conversion therapy group or going to a conversion therapist or ex-gay ministry, and they see the truth of how dangerous and destructive it is, and it changes their heart and mind to be able to know that there is a big, wide world out there, and there are a lot of resources available now for LGBTQ plus people to find their place. If they're people of faith, they can find their place in an affirming church. If they're not, they can be affirmed and loved and respected and helped in any number of ways now. And so my first concern is that my second is that the, the leaders, um, church leaders, conservative church leaders, the religious right, when they see it, that they are, are convinced to stop the abuse because this toxic theology, this, this stigmatizing ideology will never stop as long as the leaders are perpetuating it. So in order to stop a movement, you have to convince the current leadership to stop doing it. And that's the second most uh, like right under there um, trying to save people's lives, but also trying to convince current leadership to stop the abuse and do what I did and shut down your organization and go get a real job. It's interesting because there's a cluster of motives, right? With the current leadership, there's the ideology, which itself has its own pulls and forces, but it's also, as you just said, in terms of getting a real job, it's monetary. I mean, if, if business is good, I could see the corrupting influence of them brainwashing themselves into into more deeply thinking, okay, we may as well, may as well stay on this path because it's lucrative. Mm -hmm. So is that, is that a big part of the uh, traction it gets for them? I th absolutely. But I would say a majority of people were like myself. We weren't really in it for the money. It was nice that we got a paycheck, um, but I don't think that they see that they're doing it for the money, even though it was hard to shut down the organization that was paying my bills. You know, it was very difficult. And I'm not whining. I'm not complaining. I don't need pity. I shouldn't have gotten in the position in the first place. But it was incredibly difficult at 47 to have to start all over on a career. Um, so I, I think whether they're conscious of it or not, uh, getting that paycheck is, is a big motivator to keep the delusion going. Stay in denial and uh, and stay within that movement. What's the model work? Is it generally parents taking their kids in? Is it uh, a lot of people themselves coming in for conversion? Is it both? It's both, and it it takes on many different forms. and And that's why I'm glad that you recognize that it was an ideology because it could be peer based support groups meeting um, every Thursday night in in the back room of a church. It could be a professional counselor and the parents are forcing their uh, child to go in to see a professional counselor. And it can also be the, the youth pastor or the senior pastor of a particular church providing 
quote unquote pastoral care, um, but using all the same resources that are being used in the therapist office and the peer based support group. So it could be any number of things. And, um, and it is, it crosses all generations. Youth are a particular emphasis uh, for conversion therapy bands, and I think that that's appropriate. But there are many, 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 many adults uh, getting involved that I wish we could, could convince to not get involved. Now, you said you were in it for 22 years. That whole time that you were um, in the group, um, did you find that um, you were still attracted to men? Yes, and I got got very good at blaming it on Satan and temptations. And, you know, after a while, it, your temptations lessen because you really trick your brain into thinking to not thinking about it. Um, because anytime you had any kind of attraction toward another man, you had to confess it. You had to, you know, repent and try to find the legitimate issue, as I mentioned before, and work through all of it. And it was a pain in the in the rear and embarrassing because of the climate to have to go to your mentor and your small group and confess that you were attracted and blah, blah, blah. But that didn't stop me from being attracted to my personal trainer in 2005. It didn't stop me from being attracted to Idris Alba. Um, you know, and it just... And now I look back on it, and it's like there, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just part of who we are as as human beings. But back then, it carried a lot of weight, and it was painful. Did you find yourself acting out on it, or did you avoid that? No, I I, I don't know what how deep we can, how explicit I can get on the show. But um, yeah, no, I acted on it as far as masturbation is concerned. Um, and that was a huge no-no as well. Um, and uh, But as far as, like, going to bars um, and living a double life, I was one of the few that never did that. Yeah. Well, I see that because um, with John Polk, you know, I guess the one that was kind of a, a show person for the group, um, he was still sort of participating, so to speak. Correct, yeah. He, he did get uh, busted. Uh, fleeing from a gay bar in Washington, D.C. <laughs> That's not a good thing. Um, how do you, you know, because coming from this, like I, I've been partnered with a guy for over 22 years, 23 years. Um, he grew up with the uh, Mormon influence where they um, would shock him mm-hmm. uh, at 13 because that was kind of their conversion therapy, right? Uh, praying wasn't enough. Um, so there's a lot, of, I, you know, in watching the movie, I, I got a lot of, um, I don't know, how do you say, uh, he was pretty angry with a lot of uh, you guys, and he's really not happy with, uh, with John Polk. Um, how do you deal with that anger? How, how do you, and what can you, what can you say about things to people like that that, that feel that anger? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, congratulations on your relationship. And I think that's wonderful that y'all have been together all that time. Um, with regard to anger, I, t- I, one of the things that, like, when people bring that to me, I just want to listen first um, because they may not want me to respond. They're just wanting to, to get it off their chest, and that's what's going to be best, most healing for them. Sometimes 
um, where it's appropriate and they want me to, I will, you know, ask for forgiveness or apologize or make amends in whatever way is, is best for them. Wherever I can, I can be a source of healing or encouragement or asking forgiveness. I try to do that as well. But I also get people who they're like, don't say a word. I'm going to give you a piece of my mind and that's going to be it. And, and that's fine too. Um, I want to do whatever is best in the moment to help that person. And the only way I can do that is by listening to them first. So what do you plan on doing now? Like where's, um, you've been out of it for a while, but, um, what do you plan on? What's your next kind of goal? Um, with regard to the topic or just in general? Both, actually, just because they kind of are mm-hmm. tied to each other, probably, I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. They are to an extent. Well, I'll start with uh, the topic. Uh, wherever the door opens where I can speak out against conversion therapy and ex-game ministry, I'll take it. Um, I really believe in it that much. Um, and I do that, uh, you know, I, I had an organization, um, but then I realized that I didn't really need an organization. I'm, I'm just me, you know, and, and advocating against conversion therapy is something that I'm going to do no matter what. And so I, wherever that door opens to, to be able to end conversion therapy, I want to be a part of it if it's going to be helpful. Personally, I'm getting married. Uh, to Dan in October. So that's my main personal goal right now. Um, it's, it's less than two months away. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so uh, that's that's my personal goal. And really, I just want to live um, a happy, healthy, whole life and and integrate what I, my, my whole life from beginning to now and uh, and just show that it is possible. I, I really want people to believe that you can be a happy, healthy, whole gay person, um, even with as a messed up of a background as I had. <laughs> I think they completely overlap in the conversion therapy and ex-gay ministry world. I, I used to, or I've said many times, there's a gospel according to conversion therapy. Um, it's there are people out there who will take this one issue, and I used to be one of them, and use it as a litmus test about whether you're a real Christian or not. And and so they, it's I believe conversion therapy and ex-gay ministry wouldn't exist if it weren't infused with that toxic theology. Um, that's why I think it's a cult, because it goes after one particular issue with all the religious terminology and it twists it into this um worldview and so there's a complete infusion of conversion therapy and religion in conversion therapy in the ex-gay world um as far as like today i know that christianity is so much more big than one issue and i've done a lot of research from affirming and Moderate. I mean, I knew the conservative viewpoint backwards and forwards, but I did a lot of reading from affirming sources, and and I realize now that the Bible um, is 
it's been misinterpreted. It, it was written in particular cultural contexts. And so I'm able to hold on to Jesus' teachings and my own personal spiritual walk with Christ. Um, but now I'm more of a universalist. Um, like, I don't believe you're going to go to hell if, if you don't believe in Jesus. Um, but I do believe he is the way, um, if that makes sense. But anyway, so um, I've been able to uh, take the toxic ideology out of it and realize that what Christ taught is truly life-affirming in every single way. And if, if there's any scriptures that don't fall in line with those red letters, then that's not of God. And I don't believe that the condemnation against LGBTQ plus people, first of all, was translated correctly. Uh, but second of all, it doesn't fall in line with what Jesus actually taught. Right. I, I've read some, just so I can offend as many people as possible, I've read some beautiful things about how, how Christ uh, was androgynous. I mean, for what that's worth. I mean, uh, which uh, utterly cut across, I mean, or utterly aligned to what you just said, that it's been my my uh, speculation without not knowing a heck of a lot about Christianity that to the extent that Christianity is intolerant, it's probably been amplified or heightened or distorted uh, because it just goes against the heart of the matter. Exactly. And I would actually agree with you. I've, I've been irritating a lot of people as well. We could probably start a support group on this, but I had, uh, <laughs> um, like, I believe... I don't know about androgynous for Christ, but okay. like the Holy Spirit um, in Proverbs, the whole, uh, wisdom is personified as a woman. She cries out at the gate for mankind to listen to her counsel. That's God describing a part of himself as a woman and calling her counselor. The Holy Spirit is our counselor. And so for God to personify themselves and I say them as the pronoun um, because I think God transcends gender. Um, it makes it very easy to believe that the Holy Spirit is a feminine presence. Um, I mean, check her out in Proverbs. <laughs> and one of uh-huh. one of God's names is El Shaddai, which is the many bosomed one. So let's let's go here and take a bunch of people together. That doesn't take long. Just get me going on it. <laughs> I tell you, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, uh, so it's, 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 been, it's been quite a life for you so far. Um, one of the big things that um, people get upset about is the idea that um, uh, being gay needs to be cured um, and that you could do it by praying or by conversion or, or w- whatever means you want to do, shock, whatever. Um, what, what, what's your thought on that? How do you answer that? Uh, I, what I would say to people is that there's nothing wrong with being an LGBTQ plus person. Um, that our, if you, if you're a person of faith, our God transcends gender, transcends sexuality, and is, is manifested in a myriad of ways in our world. And being an LGBTQ plus person, is one of the ways that I believe our creator brings beauty into the world. I, as a gay man, uh, bring a beauty into the world as a gay man in relationship with Dan, as a bonus parent to our daughter, um, as a fur dad to my kids, is uh, to my dogs. 
my <laughs> my friends um that's part of how i bring transcendent beauty into the world uh, a trans person a non-binary person a lesbian a bisexual we have all these different manifestations of beauty and relationship i believe from our greater and why would we want to cure something that's not broken um and i get where people are coming from with that unfortunately i believe that for over two decades but what i'm here to tell you is is all that that conversion therapy and toxic theology brings is death destruction and danger um whereas if you just accept the truth that god has lgbtq plus children as well you can enjoy that beauty you can affirm people and it's going to be a much healthier much joy more joyful experience for everyone involved Hmm. Well, now you can you can tell us the truth now. So, are you allowed to listen to Madonna and all that stuff now? Are you going to clubs and dancing at the storm and all that? You know what? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, people say all the time Madonna made them gay. I'm old enough to say no. Bo and Luke Duke from the Dukes of Hazard made me gay because if you ever if you ever watch Inside Across the Generally. Mm. <laughs> Well, you know, Madonna doesn't make people gay, just like Lady Gaga, any of that. She just sings a lot of songs that people, it, it's sort of supportive that she had a lot of good songs. No, I'm, I'm yeah. teasing. I'm, yes. I know. <laughs> but, yeah, that's great. So um, so you're you're living a, a, a free and, and pretty good life. And how has how is it been going uh, going around in public and doing things? Has it been pretty good um, for you or not really? Uh, just like in day-to-day stuff? Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's been good. You know, the um, it's been interesting because now that I'm open out and all that other stuff, I'm going to hold Dan's hand in public if I want to. <laughs> you know, and unfortunately, uh, you know, even here in Orlando, which is very open and accepting, um, we get called names there about four times, I guess, over the time that we've been together. And so that part, as far as being targeted for being gay men, um, that's something the LGBTQ plus community is, is more than used to, unfortunately. So that still happens. But I love it um, that, like, where I work now, people ask about him. And it's not some weird thing. It's not... Oh, look, it's Randy, the gay guy. It's like, hey, Randy, how's Dan doing? You're getting ready for your wedding. You know, it's just normal stuff, and I love that, and I never had that before. Where, where do you work now? Um, I work for a very large uh, telecommunications cable company. Okay. And congr- congratulations on your wedding, by the way. Thank you very much. I'm very excited. It's my first one. <laughs> oh, very exciting. Yeah. And my only, and hopefully my only one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to hope for more than one. That's, right. you know, that's too much work anyway. I, yeah. I came out twice, and that, that's not recommended at all. So I just want to be, to be married once. So. Yeah. How, how is it with your family? I'm very glad you asked. It's so much better now. Um, my... It's been quite the journey. Like when I came out in 2015, my mother was not happy. Um, But since I started dating Dan, you know, I 
I intentionally didn't try to force anything on her, but I would, like, when she would call or I call her, she'd ask me how I'd do it. I always included how Dan and our daughter was doing. And I think I really kind of helped her see that it's just normal. And uh, she and my stepfather are so far planning on being at our wedding. So that's a huge, huge thing for, for our relationship. And we've been able to communicate more honestly now for, uh, for quite a while, but that's a, that's a big deal for, for us. Hmm. Were they quite religious, your parents or your, your family? Actually, they weren't. I mean, my mother was raised as in a, uh, it's, it's literally called primitive Baptist church in rural Tennessee. Um, but she left that, uh, at a young age. So we never were, we were Christians, but it was only nominally. Um, so we weren't raised in the church. Hmm. You have any brothers, sisters or anything like that? I do have a younger brother and three nieces and, uh, yeah. It's going okay with him. Like everything. Um, he's always been affirming. Um, yeah. So it, it, Along those lines, it's going great. Hmm. Now, where do you want people to um, write in, find you, get a hold of you, or communicate with you? Sure. They can find me um, at my blog at randythomas.blog.blog. And um, on there you have all my social media uh, links as well as a contact form if you want to contact me directly. Uh, privately, you can do that there as well. Hmm. We'll have that linked up as well. Thank so you. People can do uh, one click and find you, and uh, you know um, everything. Everything's good. Um, you have your grinder site on there too, or <laughs> you know what? <laughs> and a one one wedding out. One wedding. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I, I I always got to ask. You never yeah. know. Maybe he's had one that he doesn't use anymore. Right. <laughs> just, just for display purposes. Yeah. Yes. Maybe the two of them use it. Come on. Right. Yeah, that's true. You know, I have to have an open mind. You are yeah. just open. trying to get me in trouble. That's what right. I about. I'm known for that. <laughs> yeah. I think I uh, I think I definitely deserve some acclaim for the during the uh, Dukes of Hazard references, I didn't say anything about the Confederate flag, so oh. we didn't open that can of worms yet. I'm just playing. I'm just playing around with it. Well, see, well, but you yeah. see, the thing is, is it took me two seasons to figure out Daisy was actually a recurring character, so I didn't notice the flag. Right, right. I, was, I was too busy looking at other things. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> there's the correlation. I mean, not not to uh, overreach in the whole thing. There's a correlation between being closeted and being homophobic. I mean, is, I mean, correct? Yeah. Very true. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, I don't know. People deal with things like, uh, gay has been a hot point for a while, and people deal with it differently. Uh, you know, yeah. it's, also, it's also who you grew up amongst and who's around you at the time, your friends, your school. There's a lot of things that get involved. Um I'm, I was always lucky because I was I was growing up in school with, in Vancouver in Canada and it was pretty open. So mm-hmm. different yeah. world, mm-hmm. different world, you know. Yeah, it's not luck of the draw on so many levels, like your environment and your culture. And yeah, yeah, yeah you know, go to grad with a guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's just that's just you know that was unheard of uh, yeah. across across the border. Well. 
It's been great. So um, we really appreciate you taking the time, and um, hopefully the uh, backlash isn't too bad. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there will be some. Yeah. I'm looking for it. And anyway, um, our guest has been uh, Randy Thomas from Pray Away and Exodus. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation.